Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi, folks. This is Sarah Perry, and welcome back to Haven Space. Today, we are going to be talking about cunnilingus, or eating pussy. I'm super excited about this podcast specifically because I am taking a course from my somatic sex educator and sexological body worker certification that is specifically on women's anatomy of arousal. And the next podcast next week is actually going to touch a little bit on somatica and um, kind of the stuff that I'm working on on that side. So tune in next week to listen to that. But by the end of this podcast, you should know a little bit more about oral sex on a vulva, what it is, what it isn't, what we know about it, where to find it, and how to go about making this happen for yourself with all of the consent, respect, and pleasure that our bodies are worthy and capable of. So interestingly enough, oral sex on a vulva is something that has been around basically since the beginning of humankind. In fact, some animals like the bonobo monkeys actually engage in their own forms of oral sex, both on phalluses and on vulvas. But what's interesting is we literally have records of ancient Sumerian love songs. We're talking about 2,000 years before Common Era, all about the flavor of pussy. So clearly we already have the dialogue between the receiver and the giver. And the giver isn't just a passive giver. They're actually receiving something in exchange as well. The flavor, the experience, the communion. And that's an interesting perspective when it comes to sex and sexuality, specifically oral sex, that in our culture seems super one-sided. And we don't actually speak a lot about the experience of the giver as having their own unique benefit from that action. Then if we fast forward a little bit to about 450 years before the Common Era, we have um, a Greek playwright named Aristophanes who actually had a character in one of his plays that said he actually invented cunnilingus. And in fact, one of the quotes from the play is that he gloats in vice, is not merely a dissolute man and utterly debauched, but he actually invented a new form of vice, for he pollutes his tongue with abominable pleasures. So sexuality and the imbibing of someone's pussy juice has always been this really graphic, distorted thing that would make someone appear as out of control or frenzied or, in fact, even some kind of mischievous. Then around the same time, we had Roman brothels that had frescoes in Pompeii that we can see nowadays. They literally show that it was a service that people offered and a really expensive service at that. It wasn't one of the cheap things that you could get at the brothel. If you wanted to eat pussy, you were going to have to pay a good penny. In Chinese Taoism, and by this point we're talking about 150 years common era, um, cunnilingus was revered as spiritually fulfilling. The idea, one of the concepts behind Taoism is the separation of the original chi and the original chi being your life force. And the life force had femininity and masculinity in it. They saw the life force as as having separated at a certain point historically into men and women. Ironically, nowadays we push so much to talk about how we each 
individual person have both aspects of men and woman inside of us, femininity and masculinity. But in the case of Taoism, you're literally using this as a tool to connect with the other part of yourself and in fact to enhance your longevity. So they literally believe that eating pussy could make you live longer. Now, Taoism is the same religion that is kind of behind the idea of semen retention and why you should not expel your seed, so to say, so that you can hold on to as much of this vital life force that you have inside of you. Again, I am very careful to speak about semen retention a lot because it's outside of my scope of information, but secondly, because we know that common and constant ejaculation more than 21 times a month actually has huge cancer prevention rates. So I hate to talk about something that we don't know could actually be somewhat damaging for your body. Your body, I believe, is actually made to kind of cleanse and purify. And I think semen and secretions in general are our body's way, just like sweat, of purifying and getting rid of some of the toxins that we have. We don't just release everything that is trash inside of ourselves through going to the bathroom. We also release it through sweating, through tears, um, through earwax and boogers and all these forms of secretions that actually help us purify our bodies more. So it's an interesting kind of dichotomy with what's going on inside of Taoism. Now, Taoism sees, Cunilinga says, consuming the chi and getting more longevity, right? But it's actually the same ideas behind semen retention. The idea that consuming somebody else's fluid would give you more of this life force is a similar concept behind you don't want to release your life force because you are then losing it. Now, a sinologist named Christopher Shipper, and a sinologist is a person who studies like Chinese studies, says that the receiver would also benefit from the communion. So it's similar to what I was talking about at the beginning, about how there is a connection and this connection that dates back to these ancient Sumerian songs about how the giver is also receiving something in exchange from the experience. Um, Taoism very much talks about that communion itself. So Christopher Shipper, he's very, very clear about saying, we don't get to talk about consuming someone's chi and giving yourself more longevity as some kind of really twisted, quote, glorified male vampirism, unquote. It's anti-Taoist. The idea is that in Taoism, the communion between the female and the male, the feminine, the masculine, the woman and the man forms a union. It's not that you can just take that from someone else. He says, by mingling the male and female liquids, the Taoist aims to reconcile opposites and to recapture the mythical time that existed before the division of the sexes, the primordial time of the original chi. So let's just go ahead and take Christopher Shipper's idea and run with it and say, wow, isn't it interesting that even nowadays when we talk about sex and sexuality, so much do we want to put it in the the lingo of you are the giver, you are the receiver, you're the one on top, the big spoon, the little spoon. But really, both people engaged in this act are having the same amount of enjoyment or at least engagement in the actual sex act. In fact, this brings up something that came up during the Anatomy of Women's Arousal study session that I had, where 
a person said they had had to stop saying you had to be sexually active to get pregnant when a young teen girl came in and said she didn't understand why she was pregnant because she wasn't sexually active. She just laid there. Haha. But also talk to your kids about sex. And it's exactly what I'm talking about. We hope that people are both engaging and getting something out of it. But in fact, even if you're not the person that is the most um, kind of physically moving around, that doesn't mean that you are not getting a ton of pleasure out of it anyways, right? In the 1600s, then the witch trials start to mention a lot of witches as having someone or something suckle on their teat, which at the time didn't actually refer to breasts. In this language specifically, it was referring to having someone eat them out. And so we were literally finding reasons to hang witches at the stake because they were engaging in cunnilingus and sometimes with animals. And we felt like that was depraved and evidence that obviously they weren't women. Now, men giving oral sex to women has always been regarded as emasculating, but why, right? Well, we got to go back to the origins of moral sexuality and this idea that um, women are there to please men, that women are the ones that are supposed to be more passive. In fact, very much an idea that came about during this Victorian era, 14s to 1600s, that women were passive because before then, that's not how we felt. We felt like women were the origins of the original sin. They were this unbridled, crazy, out-of-control sexual creature that had to absolutely be tamed. Then Hellenistic literature actually says oral sex was only for lesbians and weak men whose erections had failed them, basically negating that a guy could get any satisfaction from eating pussy, but that you would only eat pussy if your dick didn't work or if you didn't have one. So, of course, it's no wonder that for us... The idea of oral sex on people with vulvas seems like an emasculating act. It was literally written about as an emasculating act. It said that women needed to have a dick or a phallus inserted, and that if you didn't have one available, the next best thing was clitoral. What's really interesting is that most women are not capable of achieving orgasm vaginally. In fact, about 8 to 10% of women aren't capable of achieving orgasm at all. But what the studies are saying is that about 70 to 80% of women require direct clitoral stimulation to achieve orgasm. Vaginal orgasms and G-spot orgasms, you should know, are also clitoral orgasms. You're talking about the inside structure of the clitoris, the part that you can't see, and it is the same erectile tissue that is around a phallus, a penis. So you should know that inch for inch, women have, people with vulvas have the exact same amount of erectile tissue as someone with a penis. So when you're talking about vaginal sex, you're just talking about vaginal orgasms being as the inside part of the same clitoral structure. Dr. Kate Lister, who is this amazing person that I came across during my research, check her out. She does, she studies, um, like medieval sex work and the history of sex work. And she has a website called the whores of yore that talks about all of this historical sex work stuff. It's really super amazing, but she does say that we need to recognize that it makes sense that a sexual act that only pleases the vulva and does not require a penis or even a man has come to particular censorship. So 
it makes sense, right? That we are in this really patriarchal culture. Therefore, we don't think that people with vulvas deserve one-sided pleasure. Now, super interesting though, oral sex on vulvas is not as common during teen years and American youth as fellatio. In fact, it's more common for teens to engage in analingus, which is like eating out someone's ass or rimming, as some may call it, than it is to have any kind of eating pussy cunnilingus play. That's really interesting. And mostly cunnilingus is considered a lesbian activity, even nowadays, and in, is more commonly described as an issue inside of a lesbian relationship. For example, if someone doesn't want to engage in oral sex of a vulva, whether it is receiving or giving, and they are in a heterosexual relationship, the possibility that that dia, that that couple will seek help to try to help them get over what it is that's keeping them from enjoying it or being open to enjoying it are very low compared to that of a lesbian partnership. In a lesbian partnership, it's much more common for people to decide to seek therapy to figure out what it is that is keeping you from wanting to have your pussy eaten or eating pussy, which is so funny. And it goes back to this pleasure-based idea of sexuality and not performance-based idea of sexuality because sex should be whatever you want it to be and not your preconceived idea of what someone in your specific sexual dynamic should engage in. So here's a little bit of random stats for you. Over two-thirds of people who had sex and more participants in this study said that their last encounter included giving or receiving oral sex. Two-thirds, so like a good majority, right? More women than men reported giving oral sex, but not by much. 59% of women, 52% of men said they gave oral sex. And more men than women said they got oral sex, so 63 to 44. So that's a big difference a little bit. And then most men reported that receiving oral sex was very pleasurable. And most women did also, but at lower rates, 73 to 69. But men were significantly more likely than women to report that giving oral sex was pleasurable. We're saying about 50% of men said they loved eating a girl out, their spouse out. And about 28% of women said they liked giving blowjobs, which is really crazy because I feel like a lot of people give a lot of blowjobs for only 28% of us to be enjoying it. This was a study of all heterosexual monogamous dyadic couples. So like it's just people who are them two dating each other and they don't date anyone else and they don't have any kind of bigger group of couples of, of partnerships like a throuple or anything. Also don't use the term throuple. It's terrible and disgusting to the poly community. Um, so there's been some studies about why we started eating pussy. What made us think that's where I want to put my mouth? Well, I think that part of it is similar to the idea of this armpit smell. If you didn't hear the podcast on the armpit fetishes, go for it because it's actually really fucking incredible. But this idea that we can smell someone's pheromones, even though human pheromones have not been proven to exist, we can definitely get a good um, kind of scent from the person by eating pussy. Now, naturally, 
we don't know what this came about, why this came about. Michael Pham in 2013 during a study theorized that it was to try and detect infidelity, the way that our specific body odors change based on people we have been with, based on semen, but literally just based on contact with other people, our body odors change. So Michael Pham says maybe that's why. Another study says that it could be to check the health, virility, and cleanliness of a partner where you can say, oh, they definitely have some infections or they don't by putting your nose right in all of the business. So there is always that. When I was doing some searches online, of course, you can very easily find porn of people eating each other out. Half of the porn is of girl porn stars, actresses who don't actually want to eat each other out. And you can tell because they're like randomly side licking a clit instead of actually burying their face in it and enjoying it. But an a kind of porn that came up that I thought was really interesting was autocunnilingus. So it seems to be more of a cam trick once you look it up, but I highly encourage you to do it because it is hilarious. But it's like these cam girls will try to throw their legs up over their head to where their butt is close to their face, open their legs, and then try to eat themselves out. I found only one where they definitely did it, Most of them were people who um, had someone just laying in that direction, but they were just laying the other way and you could tell. And the camera angle was coming from between the legs. So you can't really see their twisted body. Definitely cam tricks. Um, And then the rest were girls that were trying to do it. And it seemed really kind of sexual for the only reason that they couldn't do it. So this kind of idea that they were not very experienced, but they were willing to attempt something seems to be part of the attraction to autocunnilingus. Like I said, highly recommend. It's hilarious. It is interesting that Wikipedia has a whole segment that urges cleanliness for the comfort of the partner but it never says that about blowjobs. And under um, blowjobs and fellatio, there's never a part that's like, oh, we urge that there will be uh, some cleanliness for the comfort of the partner who is performing. No, bullshit. That's just more misogynistic shit. And about five or six times throughout the little article on cunnilingus, it mentions, quote, cleanliness. Like literally that word. So... No, your pussy's not just naturally sitting around disgusting. You can rinse it out with warm water is what you're supposed to do to keep it clean, and that's it. Where can you find this? If you're actually interested in learning good techniques for learning how to eat pussy, and you're already following my advice that I always give and that I gave in the last podcast about actually dating people who are comfortable enough to tell you, getting them comfortable enough to tell you what they like, and then listening and doing it then I suggest that you try out omgyes.com. It is a really great website. Um, It shows a lot of different testimonials on techniques for petting and eating pussy. And it's only specifically about learning about vulvas. Now, some of the interesting things it has is it has very graphic camera angles showing you exactly what these people like while they describe how they like to be stroked and touched and licked. And all of these things are really important because it goes to show at the diversity of different sensual touch. 
for all of the different people with vulvas. Now, remember that there are many, 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 many different kinds of genital arrangements and that just because someone's vulva looks and reacts a certain way doesn't mean the next person's vulva will look and react the same way. So keep that in mind. Of course, um, you can always work on pace setting. So having someone literally sitting on your face so that they can set their own pace. You can try doggy style. Eating pussy from behind can be really fun. You can try laying on your back with legs folded and open, having the person eat you out in that way, or eating pussy with her laying with her legs back and folded and open. Or if they have one leg up, if the person with vulva has one leg up, they can actually control kind of your directionality and your pace by keeping you a little bit further or closer or squeezing you tighter down, if that's the kind of thing you're into. So... How to be safe? Well, remember that oral sex can spread all of these STDs, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, herpes, HPV, HIV, and trichomoniasis, which is a sexually transmitted parasite. You can use barriers that are single-use barriers. The way you use them is they come in a little bag, you break the bag open, you put it on, you put some lubricant so it kind of helps stick on. This is super, super, super thin material. It's thinner than saran wrap. And while it is better to use saran wrap than to use nothing, remember that saran wrap has never been tested in terms of allowing certain size particles to come through. And also it's much thicker than barriers. So it may not be as amazing. There's also a brand called Laurels that does latex underwear that's ultra thin. It is the size, the thinness of barriers. And you can leave this underwear on while you have engaged in any kind of oral or friction sex and not have to worry about the transfer of STDs, STIs, and SDPs. Also, remember to watch for your teeth because your own teeth can cut your tongue from underneath and create ulcerations. And They can cut your other partner, or if you're leading too far close to them, your teeth can actually get in the way and hurt them also. Remember that HPV has been linked to cervical and throat cancers, especially in women. Now to recap, we talked today about cunnilingus. We talked about the history, long, long, far back history of eating pussy. We talked about Greek playwrights and Roman brothels and Chinese Taoism. We talked about... Um, why we believe that this is kind of an emasculating thing to do, even though most people fucking love it. We talked about how it's not as common among teens and that it's traditionally considered a problem if a lesbian couple doesn't engage in it, but not if a heterosexual couple doesn't engage in it. And we talked about the fact that more men, more than 50%, like to eat pussy, but only 28% of women like to suck dick. So maybe we need to be changing how often these things happen. And of course, I also told you about OMG Yes, so that you could go learn how to be a master pussy eater all on your own if you feel like it. So that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in and I will catch you next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.